Hello, everybody. It's Kevin, and it's two days till Christmas. I, I can't believe it. It's going to be kind of a, a strange Christmas for all of us this year, but I hope everybody makes the best of it. This is episode 27 with Thomas Clendenning, aka Elephant, um, which is really, really cool because I had him on episode three and now he's back. So, really cool. We're going to have a deep dive on Ableton 11. So, just got to say a quick shout out to my sponsor, Recording Studio Rockstars. If you haven't heard their podcast, please check it out. Because if you're sort of in the mood to have your mind blown, that is the podcast that will do it. Anyways, happy holidays. Thank you so much for coming back and listening. I really appreciate it. Clap. Okay, guys, um, welcome back. Today, I've got Thomas Glendinning and Thomas was with me on episode three. So it's really great to have him back on the show. And I want to have Thomas back on the show because, in my opinion, he knows everything you need to know about Ableton. And Thomas put up a, a wicked video on Ableton 11 and all the new features. And I thought it'd be cool just to kind of hear what's been happening with Thomas and just hear a bit more about what's inside Ableton 11. So, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. Yeah, so, Thomas, can you just kind of like tell people what you've been up to for the last few years? Yeah, sure. Um, so, kind of most of what I do at the moment and over the last three, year, three years since I think we last spoke, I've been kind of... Um, progressively getting more into this side of things is working on um, content under the name Elephant. So I have a website that I run under the name Elephant and that involves creating content for YouTube, so tutorial videos, as well as uh, content for Ableton Live, so things like Ableton Live packs, Max for Live devices. Um, and I think the last time we spoke, I was kind of just getting into that and, and I was still very much uh, doing a lot of teaching and this was kind of a secondary thing. But um, over the last couple of years, I've slowly sort of moved away from teaching and much more into into the content. And so now I'm pretty much doing the content uh, full time. I do occasionally do a bit of teaching as well. I do a little bit of um, private Ableton instruction uh, as well as I've been doing quite a lot of uh, workshops over Zoom at the moment. Um, with, uh, with COVID, but um, yeah, so there's a little bit of workshop sort of stuff built in there as well, but it's mostly just working on the content. Yeah, cool. I was on ableton.com not too long ago and I saw they had like, they were advertising, I think one of your, one of your uh, tape machine packs that you'd done. Oh, cool. That's and good I to was like, I was like, yes, that's <laughs> like, I know him. And Ableton is showing off your work. So I was like, yes, really, really cool. So, I mean, Ableton 11, it's not out yet. There's a beta version um, that's out now. And I I have a copy as well. Um, for those of you who are interested in it, you can sign up for Ableton's beta program. And um, if, you're, if you're sort of lucky and patient enough, then hopefully you'll get an invite to it. If it's not too late. So, but anyways, all that to say, Thomas, can you tell us some of the things that you're excited about in Ableton 11? Yeah, so the, there is a ton of stuff in, in Ableton 11. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of get a, before it was announced publicly, uh, I was able to get a bit of a preview for it. 
And I remember just kind of going through the the preview, the person who was walking me through it. And I was just like every sort of 30 seconds, I was just like whooping and cheering because I was so excited for so many of the features. It's um, for me, Ableton, Ableton 11 is kind of like I, I've had a personal list of features that I really, really wanted out of Ableton. And it pretty much ticks like all of those boxes. So I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, there's obviously a lot of features that that um, are there, both kind of big and small. And there's tons of stuff out there that's that sort of explores all the features. But for me personally, I think um, some of the stuff that, that excites me most is I'm really, really excited about the new keys and scales features, which I found it really interesting. Ableton seems to be kind of downplaying it a bit. Um, it's always sort of at the bottom, bottom of the feature list. It doesn't get mentioned too much, which I find weird because I'm, I'm so excited about it. Um, as someone who doesn't have a, a particularly good music theory foundation, and I can't sort of I can't play piano very well, um, it's it's really really handy for me. So basically, for um, people who haven't seen any of the videos or or heard anything about it yet, Ableton Eleven has this new feature where you can set uh, clips in your set, and then sort of all the new clips you create will follow along. You can set them to a particular musical key. And there's various different scale types, all the usual major minor, various different modes, kind of weird scale types. And then uh, Ableton will visually sort of distinguish which notes are in and out of the key that you choose. So it's really easy to just program things that are in key. So if anyone who's, who's used the push before will be familiar with the kind of workflow of how you can set up a key on, on Ableton push and anything you play will be in key. So that, that's kind of been added to directly in live as well. And it, it relates to push as well. So if you've got push and you set the key on push, it, it sets it in live and vice versa. So it just makes it so much easier to actually program in uh, patterns and not have to worry too much about the, the music theory side of things, which is, is really cool. Um, in addition to that, uh, the, the other feature that I'm probably most, or the other sort of major feature, should I say, that I'm, I'm most excited about is all the new chance and probability uh, features that they've added in. So there's yeah. things there's things like velocity range where you can set a range of velocities that a note will trigger within so that it's not always triggering at a static velocity. Um, it kind of will jump around between a random velocity every time it plays. There's things like note probability where you can actually set a probability that a particular MIDI note will trigger. Um, so there's tons of this um, sort of new chance and randomness stuff that they've added. And it all just kind of feeds into ways that you can make your patterns and the parts that you program a little bit more dynamic and, and alive instead of just being sort of a very static, repetitive pattern. The yeah. patterns can evolve and change over time, which is, is really cool. Um, and it's something that I've I've always been really into. I've done a number of, of videos on it even before Live 11. Um I've always been into chance and randomness and using that creatively in music. So when I saw those features, I was like super, super excited. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I thought when when I first saw everything, I thought this looks really good and it's going to be really helpful and any Ableton users are really going to um, really appreciate these features. When I saw it at a first sort of glance, I thought this is really good, this is really helpful, but it wasn't sort of quite mind-blowing. It wasn't a mind-blowing update for me. 
but would you say was it a mind-blowing update for you so uh, it's it's interesting because i'd have to put mind-blowing into context because on one hand it was uh i was really really excited about it as i said because because all those features sort of ticked a lot of the boxes that sort of i i had wanted to be ticked but at the same time it's not going to change the way that I, I make music. If there's not some new revolutionary approach that's going to just completely change how I do things. And to be honest, if I, I didn't have a lot of these features, I would still be able to make music much the same as, like there was nothing wrong with Live 10 or Live 9 or any really previous version of Live that was stopping me from making music. And I think it's something that's really interesting whenever there's a new version of, of any software released, I guess, and that it's it's quite interesting to get kind of a frontline perspective of it through YouTube comments that I get on yeah. on the video that I did. Just sort of so I've I've really been able to see the wide range of reactions that people have. Some people are totally excited about it and can't wait to get their hands of it hands on it. Other people are like, Oh, this is a horrible cash grab and Ableton sucks and I'm gonna be switching to FL because they haven't added this feature. So it, it like it really ranges quite widely, which is pretty funny. Um, I think it's definitely worth upgrading to. I don't think it's like a waste of money at all. I just think that um, yeah. I mean, some, someone put it in a really interesting perspective for me is if you look at each new feature that they've added and you sort of divide the upgrade price, which I think is about well, when it was on sale it was about one hundred and forty dollars, but sort of all in, let's say two hundred dollars. If you take all the new features and you divide it, you end up, it's probably like $10 per feature kind of thing. Um, and so if you look at even some of the effects, the new effects that have been added, if you were to get those things as like standalone plugins, you'd be paying $100 each for those plugins. Yeah. Um, so when you kind of think about it in, that, in those sort of terms, um, it, it's, it's really, really worth it for what you get. I think I saw they improved the follow actions as well. I wondered if you sort of had any experience with the new follow actions and sort of what they are. Yeah, so follow actions are one of those things that they're definitely one of the more advanced features of, of live. And so I know when I've, um, the various workshops that I've done explaining the new features, a lot of the time people are like, follow actions, I didn't even know that was a thing. So like these new features don't really matter to me. But then on the other hand, there's a lot of people who are like super excited for for the new things because I think so one of the, the new things that they've added in follow actions is which is, is really big is scene follow actions so I think just maybe a bit of perspective for anyone listening to this who doesn't actually know what follow actions are in Ableton Live follow actions are essentially this thing that lets you automatically trigger clips well before Live 11 it was it was only clips you could have tr uh, clips automatically trigger in various different ways so either a clip might play for a certain length and then trigger another clip or clips might randomly trigger each other etc and now in Live 11 they've added uh, this follow actions for scenes as well so you can have an entire scene of clips uh, be triggered based on certain conditions uh, another really important thing that they've added was the um, you can set the follow action. Previously, you could only set the follow action to a certain length of time. So like two bars, four bars, etc. cetera, um, which for various different reasons could be a bit of a pain, but they've added a new feature where you can link the follow action to the length of the clip. So if the clip is four bars long, 
you can say, I want it to play for two lengths of the clip and then jump to the next section, which just makes so many different workflows a, a little bit more seamless to work with. And I think anyone who has uh, set up a live set, so like done a live performance, has probably come across follow actions because they become really important when working in Ableton session view and setting up your tracks to kind of play through in the session view, you usually end up relying on, on follow actions. I, I know this because I very recently set up a live set and uh, hit a, a massive roadblock because I couldn't do follow actions on scenes. Yeah. Um, fortunately, there was at the time I was able to get a, a Max for Live device that used to, that, well, it still exists, that lets you do follow actions on scenes. But it was like a little bit fiddly and kind of a bit sort of a workaround. Um, and, and always with Max for Live, I'm like, oh, is it completely stable? Um, so it's really nice to have it as something that's built into Live and it feels really solid and works, works really well. So I think it's going to be awesome for people who are setting up live sets and doing live performances. It's just going to make a number of those sorts of things much, much easier. But it's also got some really interesting creative possibilities as well. Because I think one of the things that I've always enjoyed about follow actions is they, it's an, they're another area of live where you can incorporate elements of chance and randomness um, in terms of having different clips randomly trigger at different times or having parts come in and kind of catch you off guard so you've got to respond to them in a live situation or even for sort of coming up with arrangements. And so the fact that you can now do that with not just clips but with scenes as well opens up a whole bunch of possibilities for um, creative sequencing, essentially, with with scenes. Yeah, so if I, let's just say I was doing like, um, I was doing backing tracks for somebody, let's just say I'm, I'm a playback tech and I want to be able to, you know, um, basically as soon as that first song ends in session view, I want it to be able to like trigger song number two. Mm-hmm. And let's just let's just say in my, the backing tracks consist of like five things. Let's just say it's like bass and percussions, some extra like keyboards and guitars and vocals. Um, in order to go from song one to song number two, are you saying I can now um, I can now put the follow action just on on the scene, or do I have to have it on all five of the clips within within the first song? No, so now yeah, now you can do it on on the scene, which just makes it pre- easier. Sort of, sort of, yeah, exactly. Previously, you would have had to have gone into each clip, set the follow actions individually. Sometimes maybe the clips are different lengths, and you don't have concurrent clips, and there were all sorts of sort of roadblocks that you would run into um, with the way it, it wasn't insurmountable, but it was just a bit clunky. So now with um, with it being on scenes, it's just you select the scene. You can add the follow action to that scene and it just makes it super easy. And you can, by the way, still actually have, um, you can have a follow action on the whole scene and still have individual follow actions on each of the clips. So that also opens up a really interesting range of possibilities for having sort of one kind of thing happening with the scenes, but then the clips within the scenes also doing something interesting. And you can kind of have this weird interplay between the follow actions on the scene and the follow actions on the clip that might end up with something pretty interesting. Um, so to me, one of the biggest things that really like stood out to me was the vocal comping. I thought that mm-hmm. this is like a major, a major up, 
like a major thing that really needed to be updated and yeah. they did that. So I wonder what you thought about that. Yeah, so that was actually something that's been on my my personal feature request list for years and years and years because I used to work in a group um, where I did a lot of recording. There was, so there was a vocalist and a guitarist. And so we would do a lot of live recording, um, particularly a lot of vocal recording. And we would always end up going over to Pro Tools to do that, the the recording, even for like stuff like a drum kit, you could kind of get away with doing vocals in Ableton. But anytime you got to anything sort of multi-track, um, we would always go to to Pro Tools because um, it, it Pro Tools just had sort of better um, what they call playlist recording, where you can record uh, multiple takes of a, a track. Um, so. Yeah, so it's, it's just, since then, it's kind of been something that's been pretty high up on my feature request list. However, I so I haven't been working with that band for a little while, and, and now most of the work that I do is kind of just me working solo. So I'm less excited about it now because it doesn't have as much application for me, and I don't tend to work with vocals anymore. Um, but having been in a situation where it would have been incredibly useful previously... I'm sure there's so many people who are super, super excited about it. Yeah, and you can also use it on, on MIDI tracks as well, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it does work with audio and MIDI. So I think um, probably where I will end up using it more is just kind of jamming and being able to stick on a loop because um, the way it, it works is anytime you record over a clip, so either you've rec already recorded a clip and you're doing another recording and you record over it, or your loop recording, and each time the loop cycles around, Ableton will automatically create a new take. Um, and you can then go in and, and sort of stitch together a comp based on those takes. So it's it can be really cool for just jamming out ideas because you can stick out a loop, just jam a bunch of ideas, try some variations, and then go in and kind of stitch together something out of all the different uh, sort of variations that you played which is is pretty fun yeah and there's there's no button that you have to push to enable it is that right yeah it just it just does that it's automatically so anytime you record over over something it will create the takes you do so there's a one thing i don't like about it is it's if you didn't know it was there it's kind of a bit hidden because it doesn't automatically show the takes which is a bit the way they've, they've set it up is a bit weird it kind of confuses me that they haven't made it a bit more obvious so it will record the takes and they'll be kind of uh, there but they're sort of hidden behind the track and you don't see them until you right click on the track header and say there's an option that says show takes um, and then you can see all your takes but unless you you know that it's there you're going to kind of miss it so I'm hoping that if not before the official release in kind of a, an update, they'll do something that just maybe a bit more uh, visually indicates that there are takes within a clip. Maybe just like even just like a little icon that that shows that there are takes. Um, yeah. would be would be pretty nice. Are you excited about any of the new effects that are coming out in Ableton 11? Yeah, um, I mean, the hybrid reverb is amazing. Um, I've... Uh, been a sort of a long time user of convolution reverb and, and previously there was the max for live convolution reverb device which was pretty good um but i think there's always as much as max for live has come quite a long way and it keeps getting better and better with each version of ableton it's still there is still a, a benefit i feel to having a, a native device 
it's just, I think it can be a bit more uh, CPU optimized. It's a bit more sort of streamlined and, and a bit more robust. So um, hybrid reverb, again, for anyone listening to this who isn't f- familiar, hybrid reverb is a hybrid reverb, hence the name, uh, that combines a convolution reverb and an algorithmic reverb. So the convolution part of it lets you use recordings of real world spaces. So the recording of a cathedral or a cave or a, uh, whatever it might be. Um, and it lets you get these incredibly realistic reverbs. And it, it works really, really well with hybrid reverb. It's super easy to use. You can manipulate the convolution samples to sort of tweak them a little bit. You can load in your own convolutions. It comes with a bunch of built-in convolutions. So that's really, really nice. Um, and then the algorithms that come with it as well are also really, really good. Anyone who's used any of the Valhalla plugins, yep. the the algorithms in hybrid reverb remind me very much of the way the Valhalla reverbs work. They're kind of not they're not just like your standard sounds like a room reverb. They've got they've all got something interesting and unique to them that like this, for example, there's a shimmer reverb. There's a, a one called Tides, which is like a modulated reverb that has a lot of movement and character to it. So it's a really, really sort of rich and characterful um, sound design tool. And then there's the two new spectral devices, which are, so those I, I'm I'm intrigued by at the moment. I haven't quite wrapped my head around them because they're so different. Um, it's a really different way of, of thinking about how an effect works. And, and Ableton recently published a blog post about spectral processing and the history of spectral processing. And what I think I, I like about them the most is there's uh, recently, as I'm sure everyone is aware, there's, there's been this huge push towards analog and like analog sounds and analog synths and analog effects. But the spectral effects are just like unapologetically digital. There's there's no two ways about it. Like they're really digital sounding. There's no way that you could get those kind of sounds out of an analog effect. It is just inherently a very digital effect. Um, and there's something quite nice about that, that it's got its own sort of unique um, character. But it they feel very much to me like they're relatively simple to wrap your head around in terms of like, okay, well, this control does that and this control does that. But what is a bit more complex about them is how all the different controls sort of interplay together and the results that you can get are a lot more complex than just the sum of, of the parts. So I, I still feel like I spend, need to spend a whole bunch more time with them really kind of seeing what sort of results uh, can be gotten. So I think it's really exciting that uh, kind of a new area of the kind of effects that exist in Ableton, um, which is pretty fun. Are there any new instruments in Ableton 11? I thought I saw something about um, Spitfire going to be doing some sort of like collaboration. Yeah, so, so there's no new um, instruments in the, in the sense of um, how... So Ableton has like built-in instruments like Wavetable, Operator, Sampler, etc. So there's no new instruments in that sense. Like there was uh, with Live 10, they added the Wavetable instrument. But there are new, essentially what are new libraries of sounds for the existing instruments. So the, so for example, the Spitfire um, stuff is just like a sample, essentially a sample library um, that works with the, the sampler, Ableton sampler device. Um, so there's that, there's a bunch of different libraries with Spitfire. I think there's an upright piano that they are going to add. 
uh, and some orchestral stuff. And I mean, it's it's Spitfire, so it'll be good. There's no doubt about that. I yeah. haven't yet, so that uh, as of as of the recording of this, that hasn't yet been added to the current beta. So I haven't been able to actually give it a try yet. Um, but it's it's Spitfire, so it's it's gonna be good. <clears throat> um, and then there's a bunch of new uh, packs as well. A pack called Drone Lab, uh, Mood Reels. So I I still haven't had a chance to try those out yet as well. But um, anyone who's familiar with kind of the idea of how Ableton Live packs sort of work and their approach is it's just sort of a, a collection of sounds that have sort of a theme. So Drone Lab, you can kind of guess what that's about. It's sort of drone pad, ambience kind of sounds. Um, mood Reels, I think, is sort of more dark uh, synth-type sounds. So there's a lot of new new sound content that's been added as well. What's your thought on the MPE stuff? Is that going to be useful to you? Uh, yes, it will be. So that's also one of the areas of Live 11 that is definitely going to take me a while to really wrap my head around because it's completely new to me i um until i got my hands on live 11 i had never i, I think i'd maybe touched a, a seaboard a really seaboard at some point but i'd never used an mpe device i'd never worked with mpe data so i was sort of aware of, of what it was and kind of how it worked but i had zero experience with it so that's definitely one of the areas that i, I feel like i'm still wrapping my head around it um, fortunately, I recently got a MIDI controller called the Sensor Morph, um, which yeah. is an, an MPE-capable controller. So it's basically, it's like an iPad-sized uh, touchpad, essentially. So it's, it's literally, it's about the size of an iPad, and most of it is, um, it's not a touch screen, but it's like a surface that's pressure-sensitive, and you have these uh, rubber overlays that you can attach to it. And the overlays have different layouts on them. So for example, there's a drum pad layout, which has got these like sort of round drum shaped things. Then there's a music production layout, which has like uh, push style pads and some faders and things on it. Then there's a keyboard layout that's a, like a piano. And so you can switch out these, um, these overlays to kind of use it in, in different contexts and it automatically adapts to the overlay. But because it, it all works on this sort of pressure sensitive uh, core controller, you get these kind of multi-dimensional levels of um, expressiveness from it. So again, for anyone who's not familiar with MPE, if you've worked with a, a regular MIDI controller before, you'll know that you sort of have a limited set of, of control so you can play a note and you can play the note soft or hard you've got velocity and, and that's about it so you've kind of got those sort of two dimensions of control with it with mpe you've got a whole bunch of extra dimensions so um you still have the usual you can play a note and you've got velocity sort of how hard and soft you press it but you can also do things like slide up and down on the piano key for example so this one of the mpe parameters is this thing called slide so it, it literally is just you sliding up and down on the key and different positions on the key give you different levels of uh, information that you can map to certain things. So maybe when you press the key down at the bottom, it sets a filter really low and you can slide up and it opens a filter. Um, you also have um, polyphonic pitch bend. So with regular MIDI, if you use like a pitch bend wheel, it pitch bends all the notes that you're playing equally. So if you're playing a chord, the whole chord gets pitch bend. Whereas with MPE, you can just move an individual note up or down within a chord 
and pitch bend a single note, which is is pretty cool. So there's this kind of whole other dimension of expressiveness that um, I've, I think I still have to spend a lot of time really kind of getting to grips with because, again, it's got so much potential for for what you can do with it, um, and it, it's very new to me. And even just to say that even if you don't have an MPE controller, you can also um, program MPE data in with the mouse. So now in, in Live 11, it lets you record that MPE data from an MPE-compatible controller like the Seaboard uh, really seaboard the morph uh, etc but even if you don't have an mpe controller you can still make use of it by drawing that in with the mouse and essentially it works much the same way as automation does so if you're familiar with how to edit automation in live mpe is exactly the same the only difference being that it's just, it's like having automation for every single individual note that you play so each note within a chord um, can have its own set of automation which is really really cool so you can have like one note that the filter's low and another note that the filter's high and so the sound design possibilities with mpe are, are like pretty overwhelming to be honest and uh, there's just so much that you can do with it um i noticed there's some uh, cpu sort of like monitoring uh improvements which i think is quite cool for anybody who's using ableton in the live situation right it looks like you can sort of monitor uh, individual tracks and it'll show you if something is being a real CPU hog. Yeah, that's that's correct. So there's two there's kind of two new things that they've added for um, CPU monitoring. So the per track CPU monitoring is there's just a toggle that you can literally hide and show and it, it does exactly that. It just shows you there's like a little meter underneath each track that shows you how much CPU that particular track is using. So that makes it really easy to sort of pinpoint uh, okay, cool. That that track is the one that's causing my CPU to spike. I can go in and either freeze the track or switch out an effect uh, or whatever it is. Um, so, because uh, I know I've I've been running on a 2014 MacBook Pro that's kind of running out of a bit of steam at the moment, and so that's been such a lifesaver feature because I can go in and, and really see what is actually using all the the processing power and then kind of deal with it. And then they've also slightly uh, improved the what used to be sort of service in the top right corner of Ableton Live. There's the sort of global CPU meter. Um, you can now see both the current and average CPU usage. So that just gives you like a little bit more perspective on on how a particular set might be performing in terms of CPU uh, usage. And there's another function that I'm not sure of. Maybe you can... Fill, fill me in on um, I think it's saying that it can sort of like uh, follow a live band a bit more than it could before can you tell us a bit more about that yeah sure so um, there used to be a well it still exists but the kind of precursor to this is a Max for Live device called BeatSeeker so uh, what this Max for Live device does is it lets you set an external input um, that it will listen to and it'll try and pick up the tempo of that external source. So that could be like a microphone that's on a drum kit or it could be someone beatboxing or it could be a, like a physical metronome or a hardware drum machine. And it then adapts Live's tempo to follow along. So now um, that's now integrated natively into Ableton. So in your, your preferences, you can set an input channel that you want to use as your um, tempo reference 
and then there's a little button that you click up next to the, the tempo in live that says follow. So you turn that on and live listens to that external source and, and follows along to it. It's kind of, it, it, you have to sort of approach it in a very specific way because it can be, it's really tempting to be like, well, I'm just going to throw some crazy wild tempo changes at it and it's going to follow along. But it doesn't quite do that. So it's not like, it, it doesn't work in the sense that you can sort of be playing like a drum beat at 100 beats per minute and then suddenly speed up to 150 and it's just going to follow seamlessly along. It doesn't do so well with those sorts of things. It's more like kind of giving you the ability to sort of have that push-pull that you would have with a live band where yeah. you're not sort of playing to a, a fixed click track. You are just kind of playing along and, and you're able to sort of speed up slightly in places, slow down slightly in places and and live will follow along and it's it's really good at doing that um so kind of what i've been finding and i think different people seem to be having uh different experiences with it from people that i've spoken to is but but what sem seems to work for me is sort of using you have your initial tempo that your track is playing at in live and then sort of playing along but being able to sort of shift the groove a little bit if you need to and slow down and it, it'll follow along, but you do kind of need to link in with whatever tempo is already there. Um, yeah. yeah, you can't sort of make these wild changes in tempo. Wow, that's really cool. That seems like a like a great step forward, really. Yeah, it just kind of takes you off of the fixed grid that I think everyone is is so used to with electronic music and any kind of electronic production, or if you're playing to a backing track or whatever, where you yeah you have that fixed tempo. It just allows you to a little bit more dynamic i think that's like all the big features that i can think of but i'm sure there's probably something else is there anything else that you think people should know about that we haven't spoke about yet uh i'm just trying to think if there's if there's anything we've missed um that that seems like everything there are yes there's there's a couple of those kind of main features that we've discussed then there's a lot of sort of little small uh, refinements that uh, well, I don't know if you want to if you have any of those that you you're interested in hearing more about. Just trying to think. I th- I think it's I think it's good. I think you've done a really good job of sort of like explaining things in in depth, but not going overboard. <laughs> so I think you've done a perfect job. Cool. Perfect yeah. Job. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of like tiny little things like they've improved the way uh, template sets work. There's sort of slight interface improvements, but these are all kind of these are, are more sort of like little workflow features that are things that you discover as you use Live Eleven. You know, they're just like nice little things. Where it's like, oh, that feels better to use. They're not sort of major features that are going to add new sounds or or change your workflow. They're just like nice little improvements that they've added. Cool. Well, Thomas, lastly, I just really want to give you a chance to plug yourself and tell people where they can sort of like find you and follow you. Yeah, sure. So the easiest place to, to find anything that I do is at elephant.io, but it's spelt a bit weirdly. It's E-L-P-H-N-T dot I-O. If you just search Elephant Ableton on, on Google, it, it should be the first thing that comes up. Um, so there you can find uh, all the, the live packs that I, I make. There's tons available to download for free. There's some paid ones as well. You'll also find on there uh, various tutorials that I've, I've made. 
as well as there's a link to sign up to a newsletter, which I, I do every two weeks. I send out a newsletter that has a bunch of free music making resources. So like tutorial videos that I've enjoyed or um, articles I've read, free plugins, etc. cetera. Um, so you can find all of that on the website. And then there's also the YouTube channel, which is just Elephant on YouTube. So if you just search for E-L-P-H-N-T on YouTube, you'll, you'll find that. Yes, and I'll I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the show notes um, to your video on Ableton Eleven. What's new? Because I thought it was amazing and just did such a good job of explaining everything. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, for those who've never done any sort of like video production, it's really time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it was a. I I ended up doing that that whole video. In fact, I did two videos because there was another video I did uh, related to the chance and randomness, uh, the new chance and randomness features, and I ended up kind of leaving it quite to the last minute. And I did those two videos in about three days, and it was like th- three sleepless days of yeah. working from morning till till night. Um, last question I wanted to ask you was just because you mentioned that you're you're doing a um, a lot of stuff on Zoom. Um, have you found what, what's the easiest way for people who are doing things on Zoom and want to be able to share their audio from the session in Ableton? Yes, yeah, so Zoom is really, really good. I was um, at the beginning of the year when uh, everything started going to hell. I was very resistant to Zoom initially, um, and because I, I know they had some sort of privacy concerns and things, but. I have I've totally switched my tune when I started using it to do webinar things. It's really, really powerful, um, and it makes it really easy to share your audio, share your screen. You literally just um, enable it in Zoom, essentially, and you can set the output of your, your door to Zoom, and then it streams your audio via the Zoom. You can share your screen. What's really nice as well is it's it's been really handy for doing lessons is you just literally hit a single button and Zoom will record the whole video. So it'll record the screen capture, record the video, and even record uh, separate tracks for each um, person speaking. So you can sort of mix it afterwards if you need to. Uh, so it's it's really powerful and it's free as well, which is, is pretty cool. Although I will say, uh, yesterday I discovered something which is really, really promising. The if you if you heard of the platform Lander, the automated mastering platform, yeah, yeah, they've it's still in um, beta, but they've just recently announced a new service called Lander Sessions, I think, which is essentially that it's like screen sharing, but it's optimized for um, music production screen sharing. And the way that works is you install a plugin and you stick the plugin on your master track. And it streams the, that audio through the plugin, and it runs just in, in Chrome. But it's, it's essentially the same thing. So it's got um, video and, and audio chat, and you stream audio through it, and you can do screen sharing as well. The the sort of biggest problem that I've had with Zoom so far is it's really uh, CPU intensive. So ordinarily, if I was maybe running a like a, a normal Ableton Live session where I'd have maybe 20 tracks running with lots of effects and my computer would handle it fine. As soon as I open Zoom and start screen sharing, then my computer just totally craps out and um, I can only run one or two tracks at a time, which is obviously not ideal 
um, if I want to be sort of demonstrating more more things at once. Whereas this new uh, Lambda thing that I tried, it's bas it's basically like you're not running the screen sharing. You can run the session uh, as if you you weren't doing the screen sharing, but you're still screen sharing the audio, and the audio is actually even higher quality than uh, Zoom. It supposedly is streaming full quality audio. I'm not sure how it's working behind the scenes, but I was really really impressed by it. Um, so that oh, that's that wicked. looks to be looks to be pretty good. So I take it with something like that, then it's basically it re it would replace Zoom. So whoever you're talking to on the other end would have to use Lander's platform as well. Uh, no, they don't actually, because it's just through. So you can literally just send them a link, and they it'll open. I think they have to use Chrome. I don't think you, it'll work in other oh, web, okay. web browsers. But they just open the link, and it opens in Chrome. They don't have to install any software. Um, it so at the moment it's. I can see it being really useful for kind of like one-to-one -one things. So I, I know I'm definitely going to use it for doing private lessons. And you can have multiple participants, um, but it, it, it still lacks some things that Zoom has. Like Zoom's got really nice webinar features where you can have things like Q&As. Um, so they haven't quite added that yet to, to Lambda. I think it's at the moment they're, I'm guessing that their focus is more like online collaboration where you can be working with, with someone remotely. So actually, that's how I used it um, yesterday is I'm, I'm working on a collaboration with a partner at the moment. Um, and so we were able to completely work on a track uh, remotely just using this Lander Sessions, um, which, was, which was really nice. So I think initially, they, it seems like it's aimed more at remote collaboration, but I'm hoping that they're going to add um, more sort of presentation and webinar style features further down the line. Yeah, cool. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No, it's such a pleasure.